All right, well, you guys can go ahead and be seated. I do want to share just a couple quick announcements, and then we'll get to handing out clipboards and pens then. So pastor's kid thinks he can just get a clipboard whenever he wants, I guess. All right. Uh, so we do want to share a couple announcements and uh, a couple things I want to make sure you're aware of. Family Day is coming up, again, August 19th, so don't forget about that. Um, Ladies Craft Day is August 5th from 11 to 2. Um, a various uh, craft opportunities for you to be involved in. And uh, lunch will be there as well as part of what you pay for. Uh, you can sign up at the Welcome Center. Uh, when you sign up, it's going to ask you what you're signing up for. And I believe if you do all of the crafts and you sign up for everything, which I think is painting with a twist and bracelet, um, that's a lot of crafts. Um, if you fellowship and have lunch or whatever it is that you want to do, ladies, we would invite you to be a part of that. Um, also, I want to let you know, Fifth Sunday Praise is coming up here uh, at the end of the month, so don't miss out on that. It's going to be an awesome time of celebrating Christ. We'll have some praise music, um, some time of worship, some time of testimony, some time of prayer, and it'll just be a great, a great night all around. Um, I do want to share just a real quick uh, kind of a thank you to those that were praying. Uh, I mentioned this uh, on our Wednesday night, so I'll mention it again on Wednesday. Um, this last Wednesday night, uh, we had the opportunity to go down to Hillcrest Bible Church in Wayne, and Pastor Seth McDonald um, spoke down there for their service. And I always love that Sandra and the boys get to go with me. Um, we had a great time, uh, such a great church, and uh, the Lord really seemed to work through the Word, had some, some good feedback as far as the Lord speaking to people through the message. So uh, it was all around just a great, a great night with the body of Christ. And so uh, just thank you for praying for that, for asking the Lord to work in that. Um, he answered those prayers, and it was just a great time. So um, other than that, I really don't have any other announcements or anything to share for saying unless somebody has something. Oh, yes. Um, so as of now, and apparently tomorrow morning can make a big difference. So as of now, they did officially cancel this next week. But there's like a, from what uh, Mr. Deschardins was saying, like a 99.9% .9 chance that they will be offered a policy tomorrow morning. Um, it was supposed to be by Friday of last week. And so that didn't happen. And so the guy said, most likely Monday, they'll be offered a policy. Um, if they're offered the policy on Monday, what John and Rachel will do is they'll turn around and try to contact all those campers that were supposed to be there, try to see if how many of them or, you know, if they can come and have camp, um, then we'll have camp as normal. Um, and if not, then they will cancel the week altogether. Um, one of the things is that they will be most likely offered a policy. But like you guys know, when you're buying insurance or talking about insurance, just because you're offered a policy doesn't mean it's a policy you want to pay for or can pay for. So that's the other thing, too. The price of whatever they're being offered has to fit within a very specific budget. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. So there's a good chance there will be a policy tomorrow morning. But how much it's going to be for them, if it fits in their budget, that, that's kind of what's up in the air. So, um, again, prayerfully, a lot of people are praying for camp to happen. Um, we had a chance today to go uh, see Gideon Webb played this afternoon in Marlette in a tournament there, baseball tournament. And uh, Lily uh, Webb was there and some other kids. And she was like, well, if we have camp, I really hope we have camp because she's coming and he's coming and he's coming. And so, like, they're really excited to have camp. So hopefully and prayerfully it will happen. Um, but talking to John last week, uh, be praying for John and Rachel, the directors. Um, their biggest thing is it's, he described it as kind of like your whole ministry has been like yanked out from under you. And they've been 
planning and preparing for this summer for, obviously, since last summer. Um, so they're looking at some different things they can do to try to still be a blessing and encouragement to the churches that we're going to have kids come, uh, maybe travel out to those churches and do some kind of a thing with the kids or something just to kind of encourage the kids. So, uh, but yeah, I appreciate you asking that. So let's be praying for that. Um, if everything goes according to plan, then we'll start camp tomorrow night or evening, um, and it'll go through, I think, Saturday morning. All right, so thank you for that. Any other Questions, comments about anything, either upcoming events or updates on any kind of prayer things we've been talking about? No? All right. Well, I will go ahead and give you guys the handout for tonight. We are in Psalm 19, and so we are continuing our study through uh, the Psalms, if you will. Evan, can you hand one to Sandra and Anthony? Oh, okay. You're getting a clipboard. You don't want this. You know, I'm just going to give your wife one then. You don't even get one now. Just kidding. I'm denying you the word of God. Anyone else need a clipboard? Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Proctor. Anyone else need a clipboard pen? Anyone need a pen? I don't have a, I don't have a pencil, unfortunately. Actually, I do have a pen. There's a pencil in here. Oh. No. Just because I want to be mean. Just kidding, here. All right. So, we will be, uh, again, Psalm 19. And so, as we've kind of done every, uh, or the last so many weeks, we've done a study through a psalm. Um, and again, I have no idea how long we're going to do these kind of studies for. Um, I like to do these. I really do enjoy uh, giving you guys God's word, watching you kind of, and, and giving you time to work through the text. Um, I do really pray these have been beneficial to you, these little kind of, textual studies through various psalms, chapters of God's Word. Um, obviously, if there's a specific text, a chapter um, in a certain passage that you've always wondered about, I'd love to walk through that as well. Um, but right now, we're just going to kind of go week to week as the Lord leads, um, and until he brings either another book study or maybe another uh, four or six-week study we can do, we'll keep kind of doing various studies like this. So uh, we're diving back into psalms, and before we dive in, just a quick reminder. I know we know this and for some of you, this is kind of like repeated ad nauseum. But what is a principle we need to look at or some principles we need to consider when we're diving into a psalm? Some of the things we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. What are some general principles we need to think about when we're interpreting a psalm, breaking apart a psalm? Okay, so it's poetic in nature. And if something's poetic in nature, what does that tend to mean about the language we come across? It can be figurative, right? It can be figures of speech. What's that, Terry? A lot of emotion, okay? Not bad, but sometimes we find the, the psalmist writing something that doesn't necessarily reflect exactly how God feels about it. Now, I'm not saying God would disagree with it necessarily, but sometimes the, the psalmist might feel like God's forgotten them. 
Now, we know that's not true. God's, of course, not forgotten them. But we feel that way sometimes. So sometimes you'll read a psalm, and there'll be that emotion in there. We can't just go, oh, well, God's word says that this guy feels forgotten, so God must have forgotten him. We don't build our theology around a psalm, right? We don't build our theology on a psalm. What do the psalms help in our theology, though, or our view or belief of God? There was a term, like a phrase I wanted to I kind of gave you guys a couple weeks ago. We don't build our theology on a psalm, but the psalms do this with our theology. It reinforces our theology. So things we know, the weight of Scripture, right, the, the a vast amount of known Scripture communicates about God, the Psalms reaffirm or reinforce those beliefs. And again, amazing the things in the Psalms. I know if you're like me, when I was first saved, um, I was taught a real basic thing. You can read um, one proverb, and I believe, if I'm getting this right, one proverb in five Psalms a day, and in a month, you'll have read all of Psalms and all of Proverbs. So when I was first saved, 17 years old, someone taught me that. And so I just started reading through the Psalms. But I was doing it very much like what? I just want to get through my five Psalms. and Get my one proverb and be done for the morning, okay? So for a long time, I went to the Psalms and I was like, well, this is kind of cool. It's poetic. It's kind of interesting in a way. But I never really gave it a lot of weight until just a handful of years ago. And the more I read through the Psalms, and again, reading through them again, Psalm by Psalm in the mornings. I'm only, some Psalms are very short. Some are very long. And I'm just reading through one Psalm a morning and just journaling. So sometimes my reading's like three minutes. Sometimes my reading's like 15 minutes, okay? It just depends on the Psalm. But I'm amazed to see how there's these little truths that I'm coming across, these little moments of reinforcing things that God's Word says in other places. And so hopefully that's what you're finding. This Psalm that we're going to look at tonight actually gives us a great example of that poetic type of language or similar language that we'd find in Proverbs. Um, and we see this actually right in the f- uh, second verse. Second verse. Day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. Verse three. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Whose voice is being referred to here? Day and night, right? Verse 2, day, and, day unto day utter speech, and night unto night shows knowledge. Now, does a day actually literally speak? Like, does day have a language? No. What's the psalmist doing? Using, personifying day and night to communicate a truth. Okay? So that's poetic in nature. We can't take that literal that a day speaks to a day meaning in the literal language sense. It's poetic. So we understand it as the literary form requires us to. So again, we take it as poetry. Proverbs, we take as proverbs. Law, we take as law. Promises, as promises. And again, when it comes to a promise, we have to be so careful. We know the promise is written to this specific group, not this group. So therefore, we don't take that promise for this group. We only apply it to that group. And there actually are promises given to Israel that are only for Israel. And there's promises given to the church that are for the church. Okay? And it's okay to distinguish that. It's, we don't claim promises that weren't meant for the church. We can take the principle of the promise or the character of God in the promise, but we've got to be very careful how we apply that because so many people have built whole sermons. I mean, gospel music songs, sermons, lectures, all kinds of teachings on a verse that really didn't apply to the church. Or, by the way, doesn't apply to America. Okay, 
And there's a few examples I won't dive into too much, but we just have to be careful how we understand those passages because then when we don't see God fulfill the promise, we go, oh, God's either forgotten, God's not able to, or we're doing something wrong. And sometimes God's saying, no, that promise wasn't for you. That's why you'll never see that fulfilled in the fullness because that wasn't for you. So again, just we have to be very careful when we take scripture in context. We can't just because it sounds good or reads good or is a Facebook quote or a bumper sticker or a t-shirt. We got to be really careful. All right. So we'll dive in. I'll give you guys the normal 10-ish minutes. Um, We'll let you guys break this apart. So again, when you see those things, I just gave you a great example of verses two and three. When you see those things, note those things that day and night are speaking. They're showing something. They're doing something. Um, you can break the psalm apart. There's kind of some distinct portions of this psalm. So maybe take a moment and do that. Um, where you see the psalmist changing what he's talking about or to who, note those things. So again, I'll give you about 10 minutes, and then we'll come back and talk about the text in just a little bit.
Well, we'll go ahead and uh, jump in here to the psalm and start breaking it apart there. Um, just curious, did anyone kind of bracket the verses, kind of see some distinctions there? Did anyone have a chance to do that? Where do you guys, those that did that, where do you, where'd you put your divisions? Where'd you break this? How'd you break up the psalm? Avi. Okay. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's actually. Um, did anyone else have a similar? Division, similar divisions, kind of, if you did that. Um, so the way that, that I did it, and just kind of in studying, and um, it's interesting that you did it with the sun. I didn't really do distinguish that out. Um, but the way I broke it up, and where we're going to talk about it tonight, is 1 through 6, 7 through 11, and then 12 through the end there. Um, and we're actually going to talk about kind of, and kind of how we did this, 12 through 14, I would put all as kind of a prayer. In, in a way that he concludes it. Some people did actually separate 14 out, not even so much as a prayer, but just as a summary conclusion of the whole psalm. Kind of like a, this is the, re- because of everything I just said, here's the result, kind of an idea. But we're going to look at it, so 1 through 6, 7 through 11, and uh, 12 through 14, yeah. So if I can get a volunteer that would like to read verses 1 through 6, we'll read that together, and then we'll start kind of breaking it apart So who'd like to read one through six for me? Margie? Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, ma'am. So when you read that first section, obviously we're dealing with creation. Do you hear some of Genesis 1 and 2 in there? A little bit of that same theme. Um, This psalm actually begins talking about the heavens and the skies being proof of God's creative handiwork. God's creative handiwork. Uh, The first verses, uh, those first couple verses actually use similar Hebrew terms that were found or that are found in the first verses of Genesis. So in the Hebrew, these are very similar sounding uh, descriptions of creation. Uh, The existence, structure, and details of nature, as one author said, shout the reality of a creator. So just the overall creation that we see around us shouts the reality of a creator. So when I was kind of thinking about how I would title this psalm or, or what came to mind, what really came to my mind was God's majesty and glory on display all around us. So God's majesty and glory on display all around us. And I love the way David does this with describing from creation 
then we move into the law or the word, and then to personal application. And so again, God's majesty and glory on display all around us. And so in verses 1 through 6, we kind of see creation reveals his majesty. So we are in awe of the God of creation. David states his, this revelation continues both day and night. So we talked about that already a little bit. The point is not merely that nature looks impressive. I mean, we've talked about this, right? Thomas Hogue and, and Sarah, they were on vacation, and he was showing me some pictures of these beautiful areas of scenery. They're at some mountains and glaciers and all this amazing stuff. And just, he said there was one part you're just standing kind of on a glacier and you're just looking around at all the beauty. It's impressive just to behold all of that. But that's not the mere purpose of creation. It's not that we look at a, a tree and go, wow, that's impressive. That's part of it. But that impress, the impressive nature of that tree should lead us to something. Like if we see a glacier, that's amazing. But we don't stop at the glacier, right? It points us to the creator of that thing that is blowing our minds or making us feel small in comparison. And so there's a greater purpose to nature, to creation. There's something on display in nature that points us to something greater than the nature we're beholding. And that is the majesty of the creator. The function of the universe also announces the incredible design of God. A vivid example of this is how earth is affected by the sun. That's what the psalmist says. He uses the sun as an example of this. The sun rises in full strength, travels the sky and sets at the opposite end of the horizon. The sun's warmth and rays touch everything on earth. And he's using it as an example of the majesty of God touches, in my opinion, everything on earth. It's obvious. It's clear. It's visible, right? The warmth and the heat of the sun, the light of the sun touches everything. And he's using it as an example of God's creative power, God's creative ability. This is what we call natural revelation, so some of you have heard this term before. Natural revelation is merely the fact that we can look at creation and come away with the revelation that something created this. Now, we don't know specifics necessarily because we don't necessarily look at a tree and go, oh, Jesus died for my sins. Like the tree doesn't tell me that. But the tree does tell me there's a God that created that. This is by design. There's purpose. There's intent here. And so natural revelation reveals that there is a God and that we are under his authority. Now, where do I get the idea that from natural revelation, not the word, not the spirit in me necessarily. We'll talk about some of this in a moment. But when I look at natural creation or natural revelation, why do I think then there is a God and I'm under his authority? Where do I get that idea that we're under his authority just from natural revelation? What do you think? Right. Right. So if, if I know I didn't make that and something else did, then that would also lead me to think that that same something made me. And if that same something made me, it's greater than me. Therefore, I'm under its authority. And again, we can't, I, I, we're going to talk about Romans 1 in actually a minute. We're going to turn there in just a little bit. But again, even if we don't know Romans 1, we have no knowledge of Romans 1, no knowledge of the words in, on paper. Just looking at creation, we come up with two conclusions. There is a God, 
and I'm under his authority. Now, what do most people in their sin nature do with those two conclusions? What do they do with that? Right. They look at the creation, and instead of saying, there is a God that made this, they say, the thing that I see becomes the God. And then we put ourselves under the authority of creation. Right? That might be another person. Okay? Somebody in a tribe thinks, you know, they tell you that this person has the ability to channel spirits, and so make them happy, and your, your crops will grow. Okay, well, I'll put myself under the authority of this person then who represents this being or these beings in all things. So we understand those two things, but in our sin nature, we pervert those two things. We misconstrue those two things. Another thing we do is we make ourselves the authority over creation in the sense that, well, if I don't understand how this or that can work, then it must not be a God. It must be a process that I can understand like evolution. And if I can understand it and label it and mark it, then I become the God. And now I'm in a, a submission to my own authority being me. So again, those two things are clear. We see the power of God, the, the, the greatness of God in creation. We see that we're under his authority. And this external evidence doesn't stand alone. The external evidence of creation does not stand alone. It actually speaks to our inward conscience. So when we see natural revelation and we see all the creation, we know there's a God, I'm under his authority or its authority. But that knowledge speaks to the inward conscience that God has created me with and created you with. Now again, what does that reveal to us? What's that inward conscience saying? Well, there is a God that we have been corrupted by sin. By the way, we know that we're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. And so those things are in us, warring and battling, and we're, we're seeing the creation of, of all that God has made that identifies with the inward evidence of our own conscience, speaking to the reality that there is a God. And so we know, without a shadow of a doubt, there is a God. And this is why even the Bible says, only the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Because you know it from external evidence and inward conscience. Now that conscience has been perverted some, and perverted by sin to where we don't identify the God in the right way and all of that. But it's there, and it's in us from the moment of creation. And God does this for, for a purpose. I love what verse 3 says. Now, we already read it, so it's kind of open. And then Margie just read it for us again. But let's go back there for just a second. There's a phrase here we have to note. It says, There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Now, we already identified who's the there. The night and the day, which, what does night and day represent here? Not just a literal day and a literal night. What's night and day representing? All of creation, right? So night and day is representing the creative handiwork of God, which shows us, as we just said, the majesty of God. And I love that phrase, their, their voice is understood everywhere, right? It says, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. All of humanity understands this truth. All of humanity understands that there is a God. That's the language of creation, right? That's the language that's being talked about here. No one on planet earth can look around and not come away with, there's a God that made this. There's something greater over this. And this was actually Paul's point, as Avi alluded to, in Romans 1. So we're going to go to Romans 1. We're going to read that passage. And again, just to kind of affirm what we're reading in Psalms. So Romans 1, 
verses 18 through 25. So if I can get a volunteer when somebody gets there, we'll do sword drill. Ready? Go. Who's got it? Who's got it? Oh, Terry? Okay. All right. So Romans 1. I don't have any candy though, Terry. I'm sorry. I don't have soccer or nothing. Um, Romans 1, 18 through 25, please. So everything we just read, David's revealing to us, right, in the psalm. And Paul unpacks all of that, even going deeper into that. He's saying, you know, and you willfully, these people that he's referring to, by the way, he's in an area where he can look out his window and see all the sins that he's going to talk about. It's just in the culture. Sound familiar? You look around the culture today, you go, man, anywhere you look, there's just sin everywhere. That's what Paul's saying. All these things I'm seeing, it's just revealing that you know there's a God and you're choosing to not worship him as God. You're making a choice to suppress the truth and unrighteousness and worship the creature more than the creator. And as a result, what did God do? Fine. You want that? Go. God said, I will allow you to endure the consequences of your choice. So many people have said, well, I can't believe God would send anyone to hell. Well, here's the thing. If he offers you salvation and offers you an opportunity to receive Christ and you reject that, the worst thing God can do is force you into heaven. How is that love? You didn't love him. You don't accept him. He's not going to say, yeah, nope, no matter what, I'm going to force you to be in my heaven. You've rejected me your whole life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to allow you to continue in that rejection. I'm going to allow you to continue in that line. And separation from God is the destiny that we call hell. And that's what happens to those who reject Christ. He's allowing that to just continue. And he's so gracious that he would even offer to this people salvation and forgiveness of sin and grace. This people that willfully said, no, God. What did Adam and Eve do in the garden? No, God, we're not trusting your word. We're trusting the word of the serpent. We're rejecting what you've revealed to us. We're completely disobeying and rebelling against you. And this people, God says, this is what you deserve. But in grace and by faith, you can have eternal life. And so because of Romans 1, 25, or I'm sorry, 18, 25, Romans 2, verse 1 falls right into place. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, Whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest does the same things. Saying, you have no excuse. 
I could not, if I was a, apart from Christ and my sin, I could not stand before God and go, nope, God, here's my logic. Here's my reason. Here's the excuse. It doesn't, it's not acceptable. Because Paul says, and David says, you know. You know. And this is why the Bible is very clear. One day, every knee will bow. Some will bow to the Lord and say, Lord and Savior. Some will bow to the Lord and say, Lord and Judge, and be cast away. But all will bow. And really, what is that bowing representing? We're coming to terms with what we already know is true. We already know that he is God, and we're just acknowledging it in the fullness of it. And so again, mankind is without an excuse because the knowledge of God is revealed in creation and in our conscience. In creation and in our conscience. Now, I was debating about this, but it's 6.50, so I think we're going to put a pause on this because I don't want to go through the next section too quickly. And we got a little bit after that. So we're going to put a pause on this so that we can pick this up next week and move through letter B and letter C. But I want to remind you and encourage you, the people you're going to see this week, the people that you come in contact with, they may outwardly say, I don't believe. And that's fine. But they know, if they were really honest with themselves, they know there's something. They know they're missing something. That's the beauty of this. When I was saved at 16, I knew that I was missing something. Now, I could not describe to you what it was. Oh, yes, I need to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I, I couldn't verbalize that. But God, as I've already said, has put eternity in our hearts. And we know we're longing for something. And so when you come in contact with people this week, maybe who are battling with hopelessness or feelings of, of stress or defeated nature, where they're just kind of like always down and always anxious and never feel like it's enough's enough, don't come at them with condemnation. Encourage them that they're always going to feel that until they receive Christ. And if we're not careful, when we receive Christ, we can still battle with this if our eyes aren't on him. And so I'm saying all to say this, let's show grace. Right? Let's show some time of having a conversation with somebody to walk them through what's available to them. And they know it. And that's the wonder of God's grace. That he would even give us a world like this. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but he did not have to give us this world with all these colors. All this beautiful array of colors and design. I've always been amazed when you read about the Garden of Eden and the things in the garden. That were just there to grow mankind's understanding of aesthetic beauty. No practical purpose just there so that man would start to appreciate the wonders of beauty and the beautiful design that God has made. And so again, God is a God of amazing creative power and he puts it on display. And so as you're driving home tonight, as you're about your week this week, don't just be impressed with the sunset or the stars or the beauty of creation. Don't let it stop there. Take it to that next step and say, God, thank you for displaying your majesty through all of this and help me to communicate that to people this week. Any from verses one through six, anything else that anyone else would like to share before we close in prayer? Sure. Yep. And so that's that when I read that, that's what I 
Yeah. Yes. And obviously for David, I mean, there's so many things in the Psalms that David knew just by God revealing to him. Right, right. Yeah, unlearned, uneducated. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, and there's, I mean, if you follow like anything from Answers in Genesis and what an amazing resource they've, they put out. Um, actually, if you want to use the term, I'll use the term primitive man in the sense of primitive meaning first mankind, not primitive as an intelligence. Um, they've actually found that there's so much evidence that suggests that primitive man was actually vastly intelligent. Um, able and capable to do so many things. Um, obviously, in Genesis, we believe in those timelines that they really did live that long. So if you could imagine living long enough to teach your great-great-great-great-grandchild something that you learned, how much more that great-great-great-great-grandchild will be farther along because they're not learning it first by doing it. They're learning it from your experience. And all of that education being passed down, um, it's amazing to think about how God orchestrated all of that. Um, and so again, it's just when we think about these things, mankind, obviously in David's day as well, um, I believe was vastly intelligent. And I think it's undermined a lot in our culture today. And I agree. I think as a, as, as a human race, I think in, I'm not saying God can't give people knowledge and wisdom and understanding. I think there's people that are greatly blessed with intelligence. I mean, I'm not knocking in general. Yes. As a race, I think we have lost intelligence in some ways. Um, and it's unfortunate because we don't have to but sin has crept in and then we've depended on other things to make us lazy and not have to think through things as much. So, but that's a whole different sermon. Um, but great point. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's a great point. Anything else from verses one through six before we, anything else that maybe I missed or didn't highlight that you got something out of there, Renee? Right. Yeah. And I love that. It's not hidden. It's obvious. It's right out in the open. Um, and I love what you said there. Nobody misses the bridegroom coming out of his chamber. They're awaiting it. They're looking forward to it. Um, and I, that's why I love what Romans one says. That's Paul's point. It's obvious. It's clear from creation who God is, who we are and what our responsibility is. Absolutely. Love that. Avi. The line through the earth, yeah. intersect their orbits. Yeah.
Ja. Hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the greatest blasphemy we could commit is to look at all of this and think that somehow we're greater and that we're in control and that we're doing all this. Um, what a what a kind of smack in the face of God, you know, something that's meant to draw us to him, even our own bodies, our own, uh, you know, when pe- doctors look inside a human body and they see all the intricacies of the human body and then they walk away saying, wow, we're pretty amazing. Like, no. We have a pretty amazing creator. That's really what that's supposed to push you to. Um, but yeah, it's amazing. Like you said, what an amazing gift senses are, taste. Um, now, sometimes taste and smell probably aren't great, senses, great gifts, depending on what you're eating or smelling. But um, yes, yes. Yeah, don't eat that again. That's the warning. Um, yes, which... Just made me think of, I was watching the ball game today, and they were in Seattle, and apparently Seattle's ballpark sell uh, toasted grasshoppers. And so they, the three guys on the, you know, doing the telecast or whatever, decided they were going to try one. And instantly, every one of them regretted it. And they said it was the most disgusting thing they've ever had. The one guy's like, it's going to take me at least six innings to get this taste out of my mouth. So, yeah. So, again, not a great blessing there, but a good warning to know don't eat that again. Right? Yeah. But, no, what a blessing it is to know that God has given us all of this for our enjoyment, for his glory. And so we're going to dive into next week uh, the idea of how the law of God or the word of God brings about his glory. And then ultimately, what do we do with all of that practically? Like, how do we individually apply that to our lives? Um, and there's also an amazing part in this psalm about David speaking to various forms of sin. And so, believe it or not, there's different ideas about what being spoken of here. But I love the way he describes sin in this psalm as well and how there's a progression here in some way. So we'll talk about that again next week. But let's do this. We'll bow in prayer and we'll let you guys be dismissed. Father, we thank you for this evening. Lord, I thank you for timing your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would, as we go about this week, that we would be in awe of creation, Lord, but more than the creation that we see, we would be in awe of the one that created all of it. And Lord, I think about the song that's kind of popular right now on the radio, that when we see all of this, how could we not believe? It's so clear that we didn't create this. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't kind of a, a cosmic oops that just happened to create all of this beautiful life. And Lord, I, I truly believe that one of the greatest lies that Satan has ever convinced humanity of is that is of, of evolution. This deception that somehow this all came about by chance. That there's no purpose. No greater intent. It just kind of happens, Nance. And people are being led astray into that deception, living their whole lives thinking they're just a clump of sails with no purpose. Lord, how hopeless to live in such a way. And so thank you, Father, for revealing to us in your word, both Old and New Testament, that that is not true. That you have designed us with purpose and meaning 
You have formed us in our parents' womb. You have formed us with intent and design. And so, Father, I pray that we would live in that this week, that we would enjoy every breath of our lungs. We would see purpose in what we do. We'd reflect the glory we see in creation through how we walk with you and share you with others. And Lord, again, may it just bring about a change in us that we'd be so thankful for every single thing that we can enjoy, as was already shared, from a good meal, time with friends and family, the enjoyment of worship and music, the beauty of creation, Father. May it all just point us to you so we might praise you and worship you more effectively, worshiping you in spirit and in truth. Father, again, in all these things, we thank you for all of this. And go with us as we go our separate ways, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.